Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. So, as I told you at the start of the show, in the U.S., they've done a survey of uh, museums may end up closing for good. So we thought we would check in with some local museums today and see how they're uh, faring. Eric Napier Strong is the curator at Seven Oaks House Museum. Eric, good afternoon. Hey, Hal, how you doing? Great, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. How are things over there? Are, are you guys struggling? I, I imagine you're struggling, but uh, tell us how bad it is. I, I was shocked to see that a third of American museums may close for good because of COVID-19. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the one saving grace we might have here is, uh, you know, some public and government support, right? Uh, there's a little bit more investment right. sometimes in our communities. Uh, but that being said, it's still been real tough for little places like us, Um for people who don't know, Seven Oaks House is the oldest house in all of Winnipeg. Um, so these old spaces aren't exactly built for social distancing or, you know, sanitizing everything, right? Uh, got yeah. everything in there is 150, 200 years old, even um, really small rooms. So it's been tough for us to bring in groups. Um, so we've had to get kind of creative. We're doing a lot of outdoor programming, walking tours, biking tours, set up the windows as a, like display cases, basically. Uh, so we're trying to do everything we can to still, you know, share the history with people. And are people uh, making their way over to the museum? Are they are they buying into your, your change and the way you're doing things now? Yeah, actually, I think people have been really interested in it. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are still worried. They're, you know, maybe you can go to the bar, you can go to the casino, but that doesn't mean they want to, uh, especially seniors, people with younger kids. They're looking for something they can feel comfortable with. You know, you can come take a walking tour, we can bike around town, and you can still get just as cool of a historical experience doing that. Yeah. You know, uh, we have talked a lot about restaurants and other businesses that have been hurt badly during COVID-19. And, and listen, we don't want to see any business uh, go under and, and not exist uh, after this, after we get back to some sort of normal. But, you know, a lot of uh, the museums, including yours, Seven Oaks House Museum, Eric, this is our history, right? We, we don't want to lose this opportunity uh, to remember and, and show off our past. Yeah, that's a really good point, Hal. I mean, uh, you know, everything is important. We love our restaurants, we love our businesses, but uh, somebody can't just come back and restart this, right? Once it's gone, it's lost forever. This is our heritage, it's our shared history, and we all need to really, it's tough for all of us right now, but we got to pull together and, you know, think about what really matters to us and what we want to preserve for our children. No chance, though, that Seven Oaks House Museum will close? That's, that's not a, a concern? No, not as long as I'm here. We're going to work tooth and nail. Like any dollar somebody can donate helps, right? Come see one of our programs. uh, Check out our website. You can donate to us there, and it all makes a difference. All right, give us the website, and and you just made the pitch. People can certainly help out if if it's important for them uh, that Seven Oaks House Museum be around for a long, long time. They can help out. Where can they do that? Uh, You can visit us at uh, sevenoakshouse.ca. Nice and easy. Uh, We'll be taking donations online real soon. Sure, sevenoakshouse.ca. You got that. Excellent. Hey, Eric, didn't you do like a a haunted house uh, program or something? We've talked about that in the past, right? Yeah, for sure. We have talked. We do our paranormal investigations. Uh, People say it's also the oldest haunted house in Winnipeg. Um, Okay, you got to tell me one or two of the stories. Why is it haunted? What's happened there? Well, I'll have to give you an easy, uh, I won't give you the best ones, right? Because we still want people to come out. Hopefully okay, sure. we'll be doing the haunted tours this fall, so you can find that on the website too. Um, 
But actually, the museum was the site of the bloodiest battle in Manitoba's history. Almost 20 people died, actually, on that site there. And uh, many people still say that late at night, you can kind of hear the screams and the echoes of the gunshots uh, throughout the neighborhood. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But a few old timers have told me the story. And has anything weird ever happened there to you? Oh, yeah. We got windows that open and close themselves. You hear mysterious noises when you're in the house alone. But you got to try not to think about that while you're at work, right? Yeah, right. Hey, I'm glad things are going to be okay for you. But again, it's, uh, you know, you, you rely on, on donations to a large part, and I would encourage people to help you out because uh, it's really important that we keep these museums and, and our history alive. Absolutely. It's crucial. So thanks for, for highlighting us, Hal. I appreciate it. Eric, thanks a lot. Eric Napier Strong. Eric Napier Strong, curator, Seven Oaks House Museum. Right now, let's talk a bit of hockey with the CJOB Sports Show host, Christian O'Mell. Christian, nice to talk to you. How are you, pal? I'm doing well, Hal. I'm standing Excellent. at my kitchen table. My cat is at my feet. He is thankfully yes. too tired to attack them, so everything's going well. How are you? Good. Same thing, you know, brewing my own coffee here at home, looking out the window. The squirrels and birds are eating the food I put out Look for them. That. It's it's a strange time. And we've got we got hockey to talk about. Yeah, we've got hockey as this the sports just all come back at once, basically. This giant pile of sports all of a sudden. <laughs> Baseball last week, NBA officially starts back up tomorrow, and then hockey on Saturday with the exhibition games on now. So it's it's a great time to have a long weekend where you can spend 12 hours a day glued to your couch. It'll be awesome. Yes. Uh, 9.30 tonight, Jets and Canucks preseason action in the bubble city of Edmonton. And um, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to ask you something about uh, about the hockey tonight. Well, anyhow, just weigh in on the game and it'll come back to me. I'm getting old. When I forget so, what I'm going to so say Christian, on the radio, I'm hockey, getting old. Yeah. How about it? Okay. Right. Uh, well, well, it's it's an exhibition game, but as we saw with Edmonton and Calgary last night, where it was very chippy, these teams have one game to get ready for the intensity of playoff hockey. And that's really Mm. tough turnaround when they haven't played an actual game since March 11th. They've had a lot of practice time this month and the players will tell you that they're so tired of practice. They just want to play a game. So I think you're going to see a little bit of tentative rust at the start just because they haven't played. But I think you're going to see players trying pretty hard tonight because they want to actually go hard. They want to be ready, so when the puck drops at 9.30 on Saturday night against Calgary in Game 1 of their play-in series, that the Jets are ready, and the Canucks, for their point as well, want to be ready when they play Minnesota this weekend in their play-in series. We obviously focus on the Jets, but there are two teams involved, and everybody's in the same boat right now. Everyone gets one exhibition game. Some were yesterday. We have six today. Tampa Bay's destroying Florida, and then we got a few more tomorrow. But from a Jets perspective... Winning or losing tonight is not important because preseason exhibition games, those are never about winning. It's all about figuring things out, whether it's a system thing, whether it's shaking off the rust. That's what you're looking to accomplish tonight. And if the Jets win, that's great. I think what you're also going to see, it. we saw a lot with, uh, I think, two of the three games yesterday where they switched their goalies halfway through. I don't know if we'll see that with the Jets tonight, if we'll get Connor Hellebuck for half the game or the mm-hmm. whole game. Uh, I think Obviously, Hellebuck's going to have to be probably playing every second of the playoffs for the Jets to, to go far. So I don't know if 
there is any point to getting Laurent Persuas in there, but we will see. It's one of the many things we will learn tonight, Hal. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people, a lot of Jets fans are saying, hey, with, with Hellebuck between the pipes, we got a chance of winning this, a real good chance of, of going all the way. Absolutely. But, that was a big but, he's going to be the Vezina winner for a season that ended March 11th. That was a long time ago. Will he pick up where he left off? If the answer is yes, then the Winnipeg Jets have a really good chance of going far because Hellebuck put up great numbers with pretty bad defense in front of him. Let's be honest here. There's a lot of injuries, and the advanced metrics suggest that no team gave up more high-quality chances this year than the Winnipeg Jets, and no one had more saves above expectations than Connor Hellebuck. So he was the reason they're even in this play-in round to begin with. They are fully and completely healthy. They've got ample options on the defense, and obviously you don't expect any team to make the Stanley Cup final, in, especially in this situation, with no injuries. So mm-hmm. the taxi squad will come into effect at some point. You have to know that. But, you know, the likes of Dylan DeMello, who only played a handful of games with the Jets after the trade deadline, same with Cody Eakin, they're now going to have full run here. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the Jets can do. I, I, you know, I'm trying to take my local bias out of this, but I would think that the Jets should beat Calgary. Calgary defensively isn't all that great either. The Jets have a huge advantage in net. Calgary offensively, probably a little better than Winnipeg, but I think obviously in hockey, goaltending is always the X factor, probably even more than usual this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I remember now what I was going to ask you earlier. Uh, you, you sort of touched on this, but it is interesting that, you know, instead of, uh, you know, if you compare a normal NHL season to a marathon, this really becomes a sprint, right? So uh, it's early. We've only seen a few games, a handful of games. How will the game be different based on the changes that we're seeing here? I don't know if it's going to be a sprint, Hal, just because, hmm. you, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs to win, you got to win four rounds and now you got to win if you're in one of the play-in series you got to win five rounds of right. hockey right normally you got to win 16 games now it's 19 games if you're one of the play-in teams and even the ones that aren't in the play-ins are playing three games to determine the top four seeds in each conference so you're playing mm. more hockey to win the stanley cup than you normally would granted without the season though i guess is granted yes that's the point yeah. is you don't have that 82 games leading up and everyone's banged up everybody right. is fresh right now Every team is pretty much fully healthy, which you never see going into the playoffs, to your point. Mm -hmm. So that could create an atmosphere where the quality is fantastic once the rust is shaken off. And as Paul Maurice has talked about, you know, there's no traveling at all. Everybody's going to be fresher from that. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see some definitely uh, fresher legs, but maybe come late September, early October, after teams have played 20 or so games, then yes, it might look more like the grind of playoff hockey, but at least to start, I think we should see some very fast play. Yeah. Major League Baseball's a bit of a mess. Uh, it seems like the N- NBA's kind of got it right. What What do you think's going to happen with the CFL? Bob was on yesterday. Uh, Bob Irving says uh, we should know one way or another by the end of the week. Do you think we'll have a, a CFL season played entirely here in Winnipeg or not? I've said from the start that I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not going to change my tune now. I think that the fact that it's July 29th and no balls have been rolling at all here. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything is kind of stuck in the mud. The CFL is waiting from the federal government, but the federal government's waiting to hear from the CFL. Players are getting fed up. They're thinking, do I really want to go through all this for six games? To sit in a bubble for six games and... 
make a third of my paycheck if they can, you know, the CFL sweetens the pot a bit and can make it, you know, maybe half their paycheck, it makes yeah. it a little more worth it, but they don't have the money to do that at least right now and it would have to come from the federal government. So mm-hmm. I'm pessimistic, prove me wrong. Also, the question of making sure it's safe is a big part of this too. We've seen the hub city model work pretty much every place it's been tried, right? The MLS, they had two teams at the start that they had to kick out because they were ravaged by COVID-19, but since then, no positive tests. The NBA came out with their latest results, no positive tests. The MWSL, they finished their tournament, no positive tests. Canadian Premier League today announces they're going to try a hub city in Charlottetown. And pretty much everywhere, it's, it's, been, it's been very successful. MLB, no bubble. It's got problems. NFL, no bubble. They're going to have problems. But if the CFL, I think the CFL can make it work from a health and safety standpoint. It's all about money. And right now, I'm just not sure it's there. Obviously, you're going to talk a lot of this and more. What else have you got coming up on your, your show tonight at 7? Well, we've got, yes, a lot on the Canadian Premier League. We have the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame announcing its 2020 class today, Hal, as well. More on a story of a kind of a secret hockey tournament happened in Winnipeg recently, and the teams from Saskatchewan came in. They changed their names, so lots of stuff. And also, of course, previewing the Jets game because they are starting play half an yep. hour after my show, which works out perfectly for someone hosting a show from 7 till 9. No kidding. Yes, you get your show in. You got just enough time to pop some popcorn and pop open a couple of beers, and you'll be ready for the game at nine thirty, which is on Sportsnet. Correct? Yes. Excellent. Christian O'Mel, CGOB Sports Show tonight, seven and nine, right here on CGOB. So make sure you listen to that, and then you can check out the Jets and Canucks. Right now, Debbie Boissonneau is the president of Cup W204. Debbie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, health, uh, explain what, uh, uh, what uh, group of workers you represent there at, at uh, QP204. Is it, it's healthcare workers, correct? Correct. That is the support workers, um, healthcare aides, housekeeping, dietary, war clerks, uh, secretaries, plumbers, electricians. You name it. Anyone that's not a nurse or a doctor is pretty much a support worker. Uh, there are some um, techs that belong to MHP, but most of them belong to QP. And certainly your members would fall under this uh, risk recognition program. Uh, it's been almost a month. We knew it was $120 million to be split evenly uh, amongst however many people applied for it. We now know, as of this morning, Prime Minister, or Premier uh, Pallister announced here on CGOB that 78,442 Manitobans will get fifteen hundred and fifty uh, $1,530 uh, minus a 10% withholding tax uh, to Revenue Canada. I'm, I'm sure your members are, are happy about that. Yes, uh, my members are finally happy to hear something. Uh, it has been a little bit upsetting to hear about the risk pay, but not, you know, uh, knowing when they're going to get it. The amount uh, they're receiving, I still doesn't believe it's enough uh, for the upheaval and sacrifices and possible exposures they have been come across through this COVID time and still are coming across. Um, but I do believe it does help. Yeah, it did, take, it, it, it did take a while, and, and uh, Premier Pallister this morning said they wanted to get it right and, you know, make sure the right people were getting the money. 
Um, but yes, it did take a while. And, and I wouldn't argue with you that, uh, you know, 1500 or, or 1300 and change, I guess, after tax, uh, isn't a lot of money, uh, but it is something for the extra risk that they took. Um, that's true, and I believe not everybody is getting it. If you call it the risk pay, then everybody that stepped into the risk should get it. Anyone under 200 hours is not receiving any money. And those that work in two personal care homes have lost more money than the government's giving them back because they can only work at one job, and they've had to work two full-time jobs to you know, make the ends meet at home or pay bills. So now the government has cut those people back. So really it isn't enough for those people that are actually losing money and have been losing money from the beginning. Yeah, I guess there has to be a cutoff somewhere, but I hear you. Not every worker that would be considered uh, a hero or or a, a frontline worker is going to be eligible for this, and that and that is disappointing. I hear you. Mm. Uh, very much so to the members, and they wish that the government wouldn't have put in a two hundred cap on it, um, and basically putting a five thousand hour cap on it also takes out a lot of other people too. So. Um, Listen, and and I don't think this has ended, right? I mean, a lot of your members are still on the front lines here. And and while this payment is is going to be, you know, deposited directly into their accounts, the risk for them continues, doesn't it? It does daily. Um I was at a emergency the other day with my mom for a personal reason uh, for my mom and the members are still, you know, people are coming in if they have a respiratory issue, automatically they're considered to be a COVID suspect. And that doesn't help with anxiety. It makes the uncertainty is that they don't know what they're dealing with. Uh, You know, they have a lot of isolation. People hear about the positive cases, but they don't hear how many people come to the door that could be positive and how the members are actually having to work every day, not knowing that person until that test comes back. So it does cause a lot of anxiety to the to the membership and stress. Yeah. You you lead one union that rep- represents a, a portion of Manitoba's frontline workers. I'm just curious. I know you can't speak to all other frontline workers, but you can speak to your members. How has all of this affected them? Are there some that are saying, I'm finding a different line of work? I, I think it takes a really uh, special person to want to be on the front lines and do some of the work that your members do. What, what What's the general consensus? Anecdotally, what can you tell us about how they're feeling you know, four months now into this pandemic with no end in sight. Well, we know that people that uh, signed up to be in healthcare love the jobs and they do the jobs because they love caring for people. But we know that people that have um, their own medical issues, um, you know, when they came, COVID became relevant in the hospitals and personal care homes, they had to think about their own personal safety and, you know, not getting the proper PPEs off. Some have retired. Some have chosen to early retire um, and some feel that not getting the proper respect or the proper PPEs looking out for them, they have, uh, some people have chosen to take on other jobs. Is that a significant number? Um, I wouldn't say a significant, but I would say that, you know, as far as the retirement, there's a lot more people that retire that would normally not retire at this time, but have chosen to because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, um, I, I know that I, uh, and I speak for a lot of people listening, but I, I certainly appreciate uh, the work that your members have done, and uh, I'm glad they're going to be getting at least some financial recognition for the risk they've been taking. Thank you very kindly, and I, I'm, I know they appreciate when people say they appreciate them because they don't hear it enough. Thank you, Debbie. Appreciate your time. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Debbie Boysino, president of QP Local 204, representing uh, workers in the healthcare field. 
Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.